Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in in what part of the country? Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. This is Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. Each week, Wendy brings resources and information to help guide you through those next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Now, here's Wendy Jones with this week's guest. Good morning and welcome to Next Steps for Seniors. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and also owner and operator of Next Steps for Seniors, the business, which you all know and the foundation, which helps our low-income seniors. So today, our radio program, as you all know, is designed to really walk you through those next steps. There's so many things that happen in life as we age, and to be honest, not a lot of people want to talk about it. But that's what we do on this program. We talk about it because we need to know this information because we all age and it happens to everybody. So our topic today is really talking about the hospital and what happens when you move into um, or need to go to emergency into a hospital. So our group today, which I am thrilled to have with us, Dr. Ryan Saab. Good morning, doctor. Morning. Thank you for being here. And Dr. Adam Hazebrook. Morning. Thanks for having us. We are thrilled to have you. So the two of them are new into um, a local hospital here, Ascension Providence Rochester Hospital, but we're going to let them tell us about this. But, you know, their IEP um, organization, did I say that right? How is it? Yes. Okay. They're very good. IEP. Pretty easy, right? Has has done an, an amazing job helping patients every day. And they're expanding into new areas, and we're very blessed to have them right here in our community. So I, we want to hear from you. So first, Dr. Saab, I'm going to ask you, just kind of share a little bit about, you know, your background and your history and how long you've been practicing. Okay, great. So my name is Ryan Saab, and I know this is about uh, seniors. So people always think I'm really young. Uh, believe it or not, I'm not 12 years old, like some people say. When I uh, grow up my beard, I got a little salt and pepper here. (laughs) So um, I've lived in Michigan my whole life. I've been practicing uh, emergency medicine for almost 10 years now. And I did my training out of Wayne State University, St. John, Maine in Detroit. Excellent. And I've been with uh, Ascension since that time. I took a small break, but I'm back again. Excellent. Yes. So you're a Michigander. Yes. Yes, I'm a Michigander. I took a small break for a little bit, but I'm back and I have... uh, wife and two beautiful girls at home and oh i love kids how yes. old are your kids so eight and five tomorrow 
Oh my goodness! She'll turn five. Okay, yes. happy birthday! Thank That's you. Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. How special. Well, we're glad to have you back here, Thank and you. we're blessed to have you at Ascension. And Thank tell you. us a little bit about you, Dr. Hazebrook. Did I say that right? Yes. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my name's Adam Hazebrook. I grew up locally in Troy. I've been with IEP, um, which stands for Independent Emergency Physicians, for about 10 years now. Um, same amount of time that I've known Ryan. I actually trained under this group at a local hospital as well, in Garden City Hospital. So I've kind of been around um, the group for almost 15 years now. Um, we are new to Ascension Providence Rochester, but as Ryan said, we both worked within the Ascension system for about 10 years. Um, what's been fun and interesting for me is that I actually started at Ascension Providence Rochester when it was Crittenton, um, probably about 20 years ago as a clerk in the ER. And, uh, this really opportunity to work in the emergency department as a physician now has really brought it full circle. So couldn't be more thankful for the opportunity and feel really blessed to be, be here. Well, and I think that's so unique to be able to say that you started really on the ground floor. Really, you know, it really truly is. It's, you know, you see these sports teams and you see them talking about how they're coming back to their alma mater or and want to bring a championship back. Well, I'm coming back to the hospital that gave me an opportunity to begin with, and I just want to bring great success and quality care to our patients. Well, thank you. Thank you both, honestly, for what you do every day. It is not an easy job, and your passion and your desire for people and for patients is remarkable. So we appreciate that. So tell us a little bit about you know this new concept of you coming into Ascension. So your organization started in different way, in a different way, but you're new as of January, correct? Into yes, the local yes. hospital so, here. So um, our in the independent emergency physicians was actually started about 25 years ago okay. by 11 physicians, like-minded, um, with their hearts in emergency medicine. Over time, it grew into uh, not only emergency medicine, but hospitalist medicine, um, emergency medicine, urgent cares, and other avenues to make sure that we take care of our patients in multiple facets and not just emergencies. However, our main focus is emergency medicine, especially at Ascension Providence, Rochester. Mm-hmm. However, uh, over time, our goal is to integrate within the hospital uh, to better meet the needs of our patients and help uh, align the goals of uh, the hospital, ourselves, and the patients as well. There you go. Excellent. So the seamless journey is what is what you guys focus on, truly, right? And how your how does your team work together to provide this coordinated care? So, you know, it often starts in our urgent cares, um, where if a patient comes in to see one of our providers in the urgent care, that they actually uh, have an increased need for level of care. Maybe this possible somewhat increased risk visit turns into something more emergent, and they give us a call, and we have a process called the golden ticket. And the golden ticket is if they're sending someone from one of our urgent cares, they get them directly back to our ER, We have a handoff conversation where we see the patient in the emergency department as quick as possible. The patient um, comes with information that we already know is going on with the patient, so they're not asked 20 of the same questions. And Mm -hmm. we're able to have that seamless transition from urgent to emergent, and Mm -hmm. it kind of quells some of the fears of our patients by saying, oh, this person knows this doctor, and they already know what I'm here for, and as a patient in the past myself, it, it just seems to, much more comforting to have that kind of handoff. I think, and I'm thinking from a senior's perspective, and I've talked to many seniors that have gone into the emergency room, it can be very overwhelming and scary for a senior. And I know that 
Ascension has a senior ER, so to speak. The lighting's a little different for seniors. They've done some things with the floor, larger print menus. You know, we've, we, I've worked with them. We've all worked together on this for our seniors. But what, what would you say to our seniors? I mean, because this is, you know, you're, let's say you're in an assisted living, something happens. In fact, this just happened. I can tell you a real story. We had a client that was in a hospital and was discharged and went into a community and had a huge red, swollen, hot to the touch. Her whole arm was getting stiff and sore and long. So right away, the community says, well, we got to send her to back to the hospital. And the poor little lady who's been through, like, I can't even tell you what, calls me because she's like, Wendy, I just got here and they want to send me back to the hospital. And I'm like, okay, tell me what's wrong clarification. I'm not a physician. I'm not a nurse and I have no licenses. Okay. So I say, well, hold on a second. Let me call your doctor who I know. Call the doctor, tell her the whole story. She's like, can you get her here tomorrow morning? So we just, right, kept a poor little senior from going to the hospital for this because she probably, the doctor, we took her this morning and she's fine, but they're scared. She didn't want to go. She's scared. And honestly, I mean, sitting here looking at the two of you who are the most warm, amazing men who care so much about patients, you're like, why are they scared? But it's the whole thing, right? It's big, it's loud. Um, they're coming in, you know, they've, they don't know what's wrong with them. They're scared. Are they going to get the attention they need? Is there any like words of wisdom or anything you would share um, with us right now that would just bring some comfort to these seniors because it is overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. Yes, it is very overwhelming, especially when it's your own emergency. So what I always do when I see someone um, that looks concerned or scared is I acknowledge it because once you see that someone has something that they're super scared about or their concern might be a life or death situation, if someone else acknowledges it, that's the first step just to understand what they're going through, show sympathy and empathy, and address their concerns immediately. I always want to make sure my patients are comfortable. And being in the emergency department sometimes might not feel that way. But anything that we can do, we try our best uh, to ensure our patients' comfort. And it starts right when they hit the door. So right when they hit the door at Ascension Providence, Rochester, they'll be greeted. Usually it's uh, a nurse or a technician, and sometimes it's registration. And then we've implemented processes, so the physicians and the advanced practice providers will be seeing the patients as soon as possible. So efficiency is important, and and especially now, because I'm sure the numbers go up in the winter months. Um, But yeah, knowing that someone's going to get to them and they're going to be attentive is important. So, And I appreciate that you just said that about, you just ask, how are you feeling? And what can we do? Because sometimes what you can do, maybe they need the phone charger, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, what can I do to make your stay just a little more comfortable? And I know you have a lot of customer care people that do that because they're anxious about something. Of course. And it's usually their care. Yep. I don't know what's wrong. And it's it's a lot about communication. You know, the, the idea is that uh, we're really easy to talk to. You and, are easy yeah. to see. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> you can hear them right I mean, now. They're all easy to talk to. I don't want to brag, but... Um, <laughs> It, it it's always like frightening for someone when they meet a new person mm-hmm. uh, in a setting that they're not comfortable with. And I, and I understand, I, I, I see it every day. So one of my initial goals when I see a patient is to quickly develop some sort of rapport with them and trust with them. It's something that's unique to emergency medicine because we don't have uh, patients that we follow up with on the regular. 
So right. sometimes I'll get... They're in and out, yep, right? Yep. Sometimes I'll get 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And in that 10 minutes, you have to trust me with so many things. And I, I have to say thank you for that to a lot of the patients because it's so hard to do. And if I can't gain their trust in that amount of time period, then I feel like I failed. So, and I know Adam does the same thing. Um, to gain a patient's trust within a short time period is so important. And we'll do everything that we can do to, to gain that. In transparency, they'll open up to you. They'll they'll feel comfortable with you. We're going to talk more about this transition in the next segment. You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors. Our topic today, emergency medicine. We have two amazing physicians with us today that are independent emergency physicians and have been practicing for over 20 years and are co-owners of their own IEP, which is an amazing organization that they started. It's like their baby, right? Next Steps for Seniors is my baby, and I take ownership of it. That's what we have here in the room today. And we're gleaning from their expertise, their knowledge, and their passion for taking care of people. So, um, Dr. Saab, I wanted to just ask you, what what makes IEP unique? Because that's the that that's who you are. That's yes. what you started yes. for a reason. Yeah. Thank you, Wendy. Yeah, so... IEP stands for the Independent Emergency Physicians, and we have a lot of things that make us very unique. So number one, we're uh, local, and it's a democratic group by locally owned uh, local physicians that own the group. So commonly what happens at uh, emergency rooms, uh, the physicians are either employed by hospitals or by large national uh, companies, but here you'll find that many of the emergency physicians are living within the community, Rochester and surrounding, um, or right nearby. So if there's ever any issues, like Adam, he lives five minutes away from the hospital. Um, so you don't want all... to tell us where, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Here's my cell phone, too. I'm eight, <laughs> minutes, I'm eight minutes from the hospital. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so we're, we're all from the area, and we're, we're happy to be here, and we're proud to be here. We're excited to take care of the community and uh, surrounding. I call it you live, work, and play. Yep. Right here. Yep. Lately, a lot of work in... Not as much play. Not as much play. Well, you're going to play for your daughter's birthday, so yeah, there yeah. we go. <laughs> she'll, she'll get to play a lot, that's for sure, so I'm excited. So to, to Ryan's point, we, first and foremost, we love taking care of patients, whether it's emergent or in our urgent cares or into the hospitalist medicine. But first things first, we love taking care of patients, to putting them at ease, taking care of their maladies. But to us, it's more than just coming to work and taking care of patients. It is our business. We feel at our root that we're a mom and pop organization. And when I come to work, it's, it's not only do I get to do what I love, taking care of patients, but I get to do it with people I love. Ryan is my friend outside of the business. We came into the company at about the same time 10 years ago. And when I get to see him, it's it's just there's excitement. And it's like, hey, how's the family? And who, what can we do today to make improvements? So we show up with this almost glean in our eye because we get to see each other. We're, there's so many of us that are friends even outside of work. And so we're doing what we love with each other. And to the point I made earlier about mom and pop, it's, it's our baby. It's what we care about. It's what we want to make better. And it's all patient-centered care. So uh, it's really special. And, and when you make it better, who benefits? The patient. Yes. yes. And, and that's what's so amazing about having this conglomerate, you know, so when people go into the emergency room, and you're not just in Rochester, what are the other two hospitals you're with Ascension that you're with? 
So we're at Ascension Providence Southfield and Ascension Providence Novi as well. And that's where we started was Ascension Southfield 25 years ago. Okay, so when you go into the hospital in any one of those those three hospitals, you're going to see these faces. You're going to see mm-hmm. this organization who is the grassroots, who started from the foundation, who care, who started a company because they care. Yeah. And you're do and you're right here. You're local. You're living. You're living the dream, but you're living it right here with us. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, you know, they fly people in from all over sometimes to take care of emergency rooms. And it's, it's pretty special to have you boots on the ground and to have you local and to have you right in our community. And that says a lot because, like I said, you care about those patients. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you got started in this for a reason. What, why, what made you go into medicine, just out of curiosity? Well, there's a lot of different reasons. But for me, it was an old uh, football injury back in, in high school. Actually, it was a teacher that inspired me to go into uh, to medicine because I was at that point, thought I was going to be a professional football player. and uh, His friend is laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not laughing, but he is. <laughs> Although I'm uh, 5'8 in real life, and in my heart, I was 6'2". It's radio. <laughs> Anybody can tell you. You didn't have to say yeah. that. Yeah, actually, I'm 6'2", just in <laughs> case you were wondering. Yep, 200 pounds. Uh, well, I had a few injuries, and uh, one of my teachers took me to the side and said, you might be able to help the NFL by becoming uh, a physician instead of a player. Um, I went a little bit different route, and I kind of went back and actually it made a real impact in terms of my decision, you know, to become a uh, emergency physician. So that's kind of why I went to it. That's pretty profound. Yeah. I think for myself, um, I've just been very blessed in my life, you know, have strong family and they've given me a lot and so has my community. So I wanted to give back and I was interested in taking care of patients and relieving some of their fears and started back with my position at Ascension Rochester, Crinton at the time as a clerk, and it just built on from there and um, just helping people in their worst time of need um, or their could be their worst day of their life coming mm-hmm. to the ER and most uh, scary. And uh, a little bit about what we spoke to earlier, it's the fear of the unknown. Um, I once heard the emergency department called the organized chaos and if it's us working there calling it organized chaos i can only imagine what it feels like to someone coming in so to bring it back what we were talking about before creating that common bond when people come to the er letting them know what the next steps are in the er almost to the title of your show Mm -hmm. and just giving them an idea of what's going to occur there and what what they could see and what they could feel and you know just being blessed in my life leading to this point i just feel like giving back in this way is it's pretty well, special. It is. it is pretty special. Is. So can you explain to us the difference if someone's at home and something happens, when do you know you should go to urgent care and when do you know you should go to the ER? Is there a determining it's, thing? It's there? really hard. Honestly, it's hard for if you're not in medicine and don't have access to care and don't have people like yourself to call and can you check on, it's really hard to know. Um, I always recommend uh, seeking care at whichever one is the, the easiest access for you, um, because your emergency is our emergency. Just because somebody thinks, I'll use the flu as an example, the mm-hmm. flu can be very, very serious. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, it's appropriate to go to an urgent care for that if they're not feeling well. And for others, sometimes seniors, um, you can get very dehydrated very, very quickly. Um, and the emergency room is appropriate for, for that. So what I always tell people is it's all about access to care. So if you can get access to your primary doctor, they can direct you, fine. If you can't get access, then 
uh, you know, the emergency room is the number one spot, in my opinion, to get access to that care. Because we're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We don't close, and we're always available to address any and every emergency. And if you heard the sirens in the background, that was a setup because we're here with two emergency doctors. <laughs> yep, okay. yep, good call. I called them up. I said, uh, put Make that sure on. Yep, by. yep, <laughs> get us a little background. Um, but there's so many things that we're doing in general in the emergency room to ensure uh, appropriate quality and initiatives that we've we've been working on, um, which also makes us really unique. Um, our quality, we have different initiatives set up for seniors, for mm -hmm. uh, patients that come in with heart attacks, for patients that might have stroke-like symptoms, and also for infections like sepsis, for example. So all of those things together, you know, we um, focus a lot on that, but any and every emergency that comes in, uh, we'll be able to handle. What are the stroke symptoms? Can you guys speak to that? I mean, just to, the listeners might not have heard exactly what they should be thinking about or paying attention to. Yeah, so the most common stroke symptoms would be difficulty with speech, weakness in your face, slurring of speech, mental status changes in confusion, and weakness of your extremities. But stroke can present in atypical ways for different people, including dizziness or just not quite feeling right. Um, I think the question you had asked uh, earlier is pretty profound in the fact that when do I go to an urgent care or when do I use the emergency department? I think anything that you feel doesn't quite seem right or appropriate for a 10-minute visit and out the door is probably a good choice to come to the ER. I think simple sprains or strains or a cough where you don't feel short of breath or simple lacerations are great for an urgent care. But if you have a cough and now you're feeling short of breath or your heart's racing or you're feeling off balance or you just don't feel right, I think the ER is a more appropriate setting. So I had a friend who was having an allergic reaction while she was driving her car. And I, she's like, I'm on my way to urgent care. I'm like, oh, no, you're not. You're going to ER. She's like, but I can go. I go, no, 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 because I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, isn't it an emergency room can give you an IV and an urgent care can't or not necessarily? It, it matters the type. Um, okay. But most urgent cares, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I think allergic reactions is an appropriate emergency um, visit. You know, it, it can progress pretty quickly. Uh, but some urgent cares can do IVs and others cannot. And also, it also depends on the comfort level of who's at the urgent care. Right. So the comfort level of the emergency physician will be always at the appropriate mm -hmm. level, acuity and level right. as compared to someone that might be at an urgent care, might not be used to uh, someone that comes with an allergic reaction that has some swelling of the lips or swelling of their throat um, and might... And need to respond really quickly. Exactly, yeah. So uh, all of us are... Ready and able. You know where to go. You know, you go to the emergency room. And let me just add, and, and this is just from experience, I've had seniors that are like, yeah, my, I'm waiting for my daughter to come pick me up to take me to the emergency room. If you're a senior and you're, you've got tingling and you've got heart pain and you've got something serious, why, call 911, please, and take an, an, an ambulance, right? Absolutely. And oftentimes, the earlier you come in, the better intervention we can perform and the long-term outcome for you. So I see often that patients say, 
hey, let's give it a day. They want to tough it out or they don't want to feel like they're rushing in and bothering us. It is never a bother. We're always there to take care of you. So oftentimes in stroke or chest pain, it's better to come in in the short term Mm -hmm. than wait and give it that 24 hours. All right. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors. Our topic today, emergency medicine. We have two physicians in the house, and I'm telling you, this is an amazing program. If you've ever been to the hospital, or you may be taking a visit sometime in your life, this is information you want to know. So I appreciate you tuning in, and I appreciate you doctors for being here, because, you know, this is... This is a rare thing. IEP does something very unique. So I'd like you to just share a little bit more about what makes you unique. Yeah, thanks, Wendy. So, well, there's a lot of things, but I think we touched briefly on some other ones. But one of the most unique things about uh, our company is something called a patient journey. So uh, in the emergency department and the emergency room is kind of like the middle of what happens throughout your care. And there's a lot of aspects that are involved and areas of opportunity for communication. Communication is one of our top priorities. So let's paint a picture. So you go to, uh, let's say you're having abdominal pain, and you go to your primary doctor to start because you have access to them, and they say, you know, your abdomen is really tender, and I think you need to have emergent evaluation. So they direct you to the emergency room. Prior to that, what happens is, They'll usually call the emergency room and they'll have direct contact to one of our emergency physicians just to give them a heads up about what exactly their thought process was and what they think might need to be done. When they arrive to the emergency room, uh, we evaluate the patients ourselves, try and develop a little bit of rapport like we talked about prior, um, and perform any tests that might be required. And let's say we find something that's emergent that needs requires inpatient admission. We'll call and we'll speak to your primary doctor. Keep them well-informed so that way they know about what's going on. And if they admit to the hospital, they'll be your primary doctor in the hospital. If they don't, what we'll do is we'll contact the primary team that admits to the hospital. And then from there, continue your care throughout the hospital course. Once you're in the hospital, some of our ways of being integrated within, we have uh, different types of uh, hospitalist groups and uh, observational medicine where we're in constant communication with your primary doctor. So that way, once you go home... There's nothing that's missed. So we, ha- we touch base on all aspects of care. And let's say you don't have access to a primary doctor and you go to an urgent care. It's the same thing. The urgent care calls us, we call them, and then we make sure that there's communication throughout the entire circle of the You're care. You're closing the loop, right? Yes. Appreciate that. Yes, closing the loop is a good way of putting it. So at two of our sites in Southfield and Novi, we do have an admitting team called Independent Hospitalist Physicians. And what occurs, to Ryan's point, when you get admitted is they will actually come down to bedside and we can introduce them saying, hey, this is one of our partners. They're going to be taking care of you over the next few days. This is what's going on with Mrs. or Mrs. Mr. or Mrs. Jones. Mm-hmm. Here's what we've done. Here are the medications, just so they can attach a face with the name. So when you go upstairs, you're not wondering, oh, who is my physician? What are we, what's the next steps? What do they know about me? Because we've done that at bedside. Um, at Ascension Rochester, we're starting a tuck-in service, and that includes uh, nighttime coverage with advanced pr- practitioner partners like APPs and nurse practitioners, and they'll help bridge some of those gaps of your home medications. Let's say it's time for your nightly blood pressure pill or 
or something to control your blood sugar. Well, they will, with our help, develop the program that you're on at home and message what, what time Amazing. your next medications will be. So there will not be that drop-off that can occur uh, in time frame from touch touch points. And, and listeners, this is so critical because I had a loved one in the hospital and in another state, and this is exactly what happened. All the medications that my dad was taking, he was not getting when he was in the hospital. So this is really important what he's saying right now because what this group is doing, IEP, is they're looking at the whole picture and picking up all the pieces everywhere. And that's really critical because there's so many times that's not happening. And Wendy, a little more to that point is if one of your loved ones or yourself are coming to the hospital, you're always thinking about what should I bring? Or, you know, if your significant other's ever pregnant, you have a, a to-go bag. Well, as our population's aging, it might be a good idea to have a go bag if we need to go to the hospital. And that might include their list of medications, their ailments, um, primary contact information for son or daughter or a significant other, just in case you have that emergent need to come. And then you don't have to think twice because you're already fearful and not feeling your normal self and you'll have something there ready well, to go. Yeah, you're nervous. So let's, right. let's talk about what other items should be in that go bag. Like we definitely need insurance cards and your driver's license, all the ID cards that they have for in billing purposes, right? And if, it, if I haven't heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, their phones die in the hospital and nobody has a phone cord. Bring a phone cord with you. But the med list is the most important. Yeah, yeah. So the medication list is very important. I think Dr. Haysbrook talked a little bit about that. The reason it is because it can sometimes change what happens in the emergency department. Um, for example, if you uh, were having, let's say you're having a heart attack and you're on a specific blood thinner, then sometimes we don't give that next blood thinner right away. And if you don't know your medication, it, sometimes it makes it more difficult. Or the dose, too. Or the it dose, might know, yep. You might know the med, but you yep. don't know how much you're taking. But regardless, if you have your list or not, we'll always do what's right for you. It is very helpful, though, if you bring your list. Exactly. Yeah. Because you want, your goal is to get everybody to communicate what the baselines were. So. Yes. And that's what I had to do. I flew actually down to Florida and went walked in the room because I'm like, okay, this is where my dad was, and this these are all the things he's on, and this is and everyone was like, oh, thank you for showing up, right? So family members, this is a time to encourage you get involved, be an advocate for your loved one. They need to know, right? Absolutely. And I love seeing when a family member's there, and it's very helpful, honestly, because number one, it helps with our communication. I want to make sure your family members know, and if you're there at the time that the patient is there, it's one less extra step that your family member has to do call and just, it makes it less anxiety provoking. Once everyone's there together on the same team, right? communicating and make sure everyone's well informed is very helpful. Because sometimes I get it, you know, you're on a lot of medications, you don't know the doses and you don't know who your primary doctor is sometimes because you're nervous. You're, this is not your most comfortable time to be. Uh, and it's helpful to have the family member there to pick up and bridge those gaps where you might not remember things. Well, and let's be honest, as we age, our hearing isn't what it used to be. And many times seniors are taking their hearings, they are, you know, they might not even have their hearing aids in the ambulance on the way there. So you probably don't even know they're hard of hearing and, or they don't have their hearing aids in because, you know, people are guilty of that. And then all of a sudden, or they lose them in the hospital, or I can only imagine what could happen with a hearing aid, yeah. right? One of my favorite things is like the, the hearing aids is, you know, they, they might forget it, for example, and I'll talk to them in a no normal voice and then they can't hear me. So then I'll get really close and then I'll talk a bit louder and then they'll look at me and they say, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> almost every time. Almost every time. So talk a little bit about the importance of care plan. Did we touch on that already? So which care plan exactly? Just overall what happens. So like follow up with your PCP. Where, okay. where, when they leave that emergency room, what's what's the plan? Like okay. how are you communicating that with everybody? So once they have their full evaluation in the emergency department, it matters if they're being admitted or discharged or observed. Okay, so what, can we can you touch on that for yes. two seconds? Because yes. people might not understand that. Yes, I will, of course. So there's three things that can happen. Well, maybe four things that can happen from your disposition in the emergency department. You can be discharged home with follow-up with your primary doctor. You can be observed in the hospital, which is usually less than a couple days. Or you can be admitted to the hospital, which is greater than two days. Uh, usually it's more severe symptoms of whatever diagnosis that, there, that was there. Or, and then the last thing would be if you were to go to the operating room. So four different things. But in terms of their care plan, it, it depends on what exactly is happening to you. So let's say you're being discharged. We would, we always close the loop. Uh, we commit to sit. It's like a slogan that we have. We commit always, to yeah, sit. We always I go to the it. room. And um, at the end of our visit, we go and we talk to the family and to the patients and let them know what your next steps are. Your blood pressure was elevated. I spoke to your primary doctor. We're going to increase the dose of your medication. So that would be one example. The second two kind of can go hand in hand with observation and inpatient, which would be meaning you're staying in the hospital, kind of like Dr. Haysbrook talked about. Usually that care plan is discussed with the primary doctors and the admitting team all together in one. So you're being admitted. I'll use chest pain as an example. You're being admitted for chest pain. The next steps are we're going to admit you to the hospital. You're going to get repeat blood work. You're going to get a few more tests like an echocardiogram, and you're going to see the specialist. So that would be that plan. And these are all discussed um, with the patients, primary doctors, and the admitting team. And the last one would be the operating room. Um, that would be with the surgeon, and then you discuss what exactly the procedure was going to happen and what the next steps would be for that. It, go ahead. You know, I think as part of that care plan, I just want to put a PSA out there. If you're a family member in the ER or you're a patient themselves, you can never have too many questions. We're there to answer your questions. There's a lot of medical jargon flying around. Things are happening fast. Do not feel that you're bothering us or taking our time. We're there for you. So ask the questions about the medications you received or what the plan is moving forward or what your next step is. That We're there to answer those questions. The other thing I think that's really critical, and I just had this happen with a patient, and that's why it's fresh on my mind, is there's some paperwork that you're going to get no matter where you're at in rehab, in the hospital, in the ED, if you're admitted, when you're discharged. That paperwork is crucial. Please don't just like put it in a ball and throw it in the car somewhere. Please like treat that like it's your Bible because in there is going to be the physicians that you spoke with, your some medication changes, your follow-up appointments. Like this is like important important Every senior I know is like, I just want to go home. Just let me go home. Just let me go home. Okay, great. You can go home. The problem is you got, you need this paperwork. We're going to talk more about this in the next segment. This is Wendy Jones and you're listening to The Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors. Our topic today, as you all know, is walking through the emergency medicine component and we are very blessed to have two physicians from IEP, which is their own, their co-owners. This is their own business, and they are physicians in their business, which is 
you know, an amazing concept. And it's like the mom and pop, like you said. And this is why it's so important to me to have you here today. So I appreciate it. On top of we've learned a lot of valuable information. So let's talk a little bit about patient experience. You know, are the are the patients after they leave the hospital, is there an opportunity to give some sort of feedback um, to you, to the physicians and or to the hospital? Yes, yes, of course there is. So when a patient comes into the emergency room, uh, not only do I want to meet their expectations, uh, but rather I, I want to exceed their expectations. And without having some sort of feedback mechanism, there's no way... 100% of knowing in the moment if we're doing a good job with how they're feeling uh, from their perspective. Because not every time when you're in the emergency department are you able to fully voice your concerns with things you wish could have been done better. Because it's not always on top of mind at the time. However, once you go home and you have a chance to feel a little bit better, you, you might think of a suggestion or two that could have made your experience a lot better. Uh, with the independent emergency physicians and our partnership with the hospital, we've developed multiple avenues in which you could provide this feedback. The feedback me mechanism that we use is a phone uh, survey, and it could be done in a few different ways, but currently right now we're doing it via text message. And when you get that text message survey, there'll be a few questions that will be asked. And uh, afterwards, it gives us real-time feedback so that way we can see and address concerns that you might have had that you forgot to ask when you were in the emergency department, mm -hmm. for example. And it's common that we do really well, which is very encouraging. And I look oh, at these. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, Are you I kidding? look at them all the time. And it, it's, it's important. And thank you for looking it's at very them, important. too. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, of course. And there's times when maybe I miss something that I didn't think about. And I'll give you the perfect example. This happened to me before uh, when I was early in my career. Um, Somebody wrote on their survey. I like how that, you said early in my yeah, career. Yeah. He's learned I, since then. Yeah, exactly. Did we pick, did yeah. we pick up I, on that? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Believe it or not, I'm a little bit older than I look. So, um, so basically, one person had wrote in the survey that they didn't see me enough, and it really was it was an awakening moment for me because I realized, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe I didn't sit in that room long enough, and maybe I didn't close a loop, and maybe I didn't address all their concerns. So it was a learning opportunity for me, and now uh, I try and spend more time with my patients. And I'll see them at the beginning. I'll see them in the middle. I'll keep them updated on any delays. I'll keep them informed as much as possible. And then, of course, at the end, I always close the loop. You like that terminology yeah, I used, didn't yeah, you? <laughs> yeah. No, but that's important. And I appreciate you You know, knowing that you have an opportunity to fill out a survey, to answer these questions honestly and be transparent because we all want to work and grow and be better because of it. Of course. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about what's, what's HIP alert. Okay, I, Wendy, that's a good question. I think a lot of hospitals have a similar process, but uh, since we've started at Ascension Rochester, I've been blown away by the response from the trauma surgeons and our orthopedic team that when a patient comes in, no matter what the age, and they had a slip and fall or injury where they break their hip, we activate a process called the hip alert. And like I said, I think a lot of hospitals uh, do this, but I've really seen the team at Ascension Rochester succeed in getting patients to the OR very quickly, which helps them rehabilitate quicker and get back to their daily activities. So what occurs is when the uh, hip fracture or broken bone occurs, um, we send out this hip alert um, through our clerk or secretary at the desk. And the trauma team's notified and the orthopedic team and the trauma team calls back within minutes. 
And then we are able to then reach out to the orthopedic surgeon to let them know that we have a patient who has a broken hip. And we let them know the last time they ate, if they're on any of the blood thinners, you know, if we're able to access their list of medications. And they get them to the OR in a very reasonable time, usually less than 24 hours, which is very good, pretty incredible. And that just gets the patient back moving and back to their daily activities quicker. And it's just something that I've been very proud of being a part of. That's phenomenal. Because a lot lot of times you wait too long, atrophy sets sets in, right? Especially with our seniors. If you're not walking for a week, that's a long time for them. Absolutely. It gets harder to get out of bed. Absolutely. Absolutely. You had a story you wanted to share um, about someone that you were able to help recently. Remind me what that was. Yes. So it's common, you know, Dr. Hayes, briefly touch base about fractures, but it's common that, especially in our senior population, um, falling and breaking something. So recently we had a patient that was transferred to us because of a broken ankle, just layman's terms. So Something we can all understand. Yes, yeah, something we call them. <laughs> so uh, they said, and they, they scared this patient, and they told them, you have to go there, uh, you're going to need surgery immediately. This is a very, very bad fracture broken bone, you're going to need to go to the operating room. So when I evaluated them, I, I appreciated that the bone was broken. However, in my opinion, it didn't require emergent surgery. So what we were able to do was first acknowledge the patient's concern, acknowledge why they were so scared, because they came in scared, and, and going to the operating room can be very scary for a lot of different people. So the first thing we did was acknowledge their concern. The second thing that we did was we reviewed the x-rays with the patient and showed them why maybe they won't need to go to the operating room immediately. Third, we called and spoke with our specialists that are affiliated with Ascension uh, Providence Rochester. And our orthopedic surgeon reviewed their x-rays and thought, you know, this might not need to go to the operating room this second. This might actually heal with a cast instead. So let's try and have him follow up. And the orthopedic surgeon said, have him come to my office. I'll I'll have him seen tomorrow. I said, all right, great. But then I left the room and I thought, oh, God, I'm going to send them home. What if they fall? What's going to happen next? It's not easy to get around when you're a senior and you have a broken bone. And what am I going to do next? So I spoke with our social worker. I spoke with our case managers. I had the family involved. And everyone was on board. Everyone was on the same page. We were able to make sure that they had the appropriate living condition, able to get in and out of the house, able to have assistance with a walker, with a special type of boot. So that way they can make it to that appointment. So that way they can get definitive care in the appropriate time frame. And to this day, I don't know if the patient, and I don't think the patient got emergent surgery uh, after that. They were just taken care of in the office. We were able to avoid the surgery on an emergent condition. And I felt like I was able to make a real impact because it was very scary for them. You absolutely did. And thank you. Honestly, you, that patient might not Our say pleasure. thank you, but thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm saying thank you on behalf of them because... That's what we're here for. So. Exactly. And this is what makes you different. And that's why this organization, you can have the confidence, you can have the comfort, you can have the peace knowing that when you go into the ED, the IEP group is right there catering to you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be frightened. They care about you. They want to hear your concerns. They're partnering with you in your care. And we've got like three minutes left in the segment. Is there anything, because we talked about a lot of information today. And for anyone just tuning in, we're going to talk about the most important takeaways from today's program. So Dr. Saab, you go first. Most important takeaway. So what do you want the listeners to remember? I want you guys to remember that we're always here for you. And I know that coming over to the emergency department can be a scary 
uh, event for most people. And we will acknowledge your concerns and we will communicate with you guys and try and make sure that you're as comfortable as possible. And not only will we communicate with you, we'll communicate with your family and your primary doctor and make sure that all of your concerns will be addressed. And if they're not, we have mechanisms in which we can have feedback so that way in the future we can correct uh, whatever issues that you thought could have been approved upon. Awesome. Dr. Hazelbrook? I think the thing that I want everyone to take home and remember would be to not delay coming to the emergency department. Call your local EMS. They are very well trained. We have great teamwork and feedback loops with our EMS. They are on the cutting edge of the latest in medicine. Call them. Come into the ER, be seen. If you're having any kind of chest pain or dizziness or just something doesn't seem right, don't delay. If everything turns out that you have no you know, emergent illness, that's great. The other thing is do not worry about your insurance card or cost. The ER sees everyone. We treat everyone the same. We want to do what's right for you in that emergent moment. Do not hesitate at that. We'll obviously work with you and do what's right. My takeaway would be to families to really advocate for your loved ones. Don't hesitate to ask questions. Go into the emergency room, sit with them if you can, listen to the doctors, be involved in the care. It's really important, especially with seniors, anyone, really anyone, but especially with our seniors, because it is scary. And you've got doctors talking fast, they're moving fast, and seniors, if they're by themselves in the in the in the bed, in the hospital room, sitting there looking up, they're thinking, this guy doesn't even know I can't even hear him. Or they're thinking, I don't even know what he's saying. They're talking too fast. Everything slows down when you're a senior. So you need an ad, you need someone sitting in that chair next to you, listening and hearing and taking notes and um, doing whatever they can do. And then when the doctor leaves, you're like, okay, let's talk about everything that just happened. So I just want to encourage you, if you know a senior, if you have a senior in your life, please be there for them, especially a hospital, especially a hospital. And I want to say a special thank you to to what you're doing, because it is unique listeners. It's very unique. And they're they're going above and beyond when it comes to patient care. And you can tell just by this interview. So I appreciate you guys. Don't forget IEP, is it .pc.com? That's the website. Dash. Go ahead. IEP-pc.com. Okay, there you go. You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. You've been listening to this week's edition of Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. You can reach Wendy with any questions you have at area 248-651-5010. That's 248-651-5010. Join us again next week as Wendy provides more information and resources for those important next steps for your elderly parent or loved one.